Hello, Insiders, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash, along with my good friend and Inside Track co-host, Eb Wilkinson, welcoming you to a special all-Arizona edition of Inside Track. Thanks for tuning in. We have another great show for you this afternoon. In just a moment, we'll chat with former two-term AZGOP chair and former RNC treasurer, Randy Pullen is going to give us the inside track on the Arizona Senate's Maricopa County 2020 election audit. After the bottom of the hour, controversial, I'd, I'd say that's kind of a generous way of putting it, uh, controversial Arizona House Rep and candidate for Arizona Secretary of State, Mark Fincham will call in from Sedona. Okay. Uh, this portion of the show is brought to you by my co-host, Eb Wilkinson, and Gary Imus from Imus Wilkinson Investment Management, whose baby steps approach to your wealth management is designed so you never have to solely depend on socialist security. Eb manages family wealth for our own family, my sister, and he does a great job. Call Eb at 777-1911 and let him help you also. I'll I'll brag on my co-host just a little more. This guy, I've said this before, and every time he tells me a story of things that he does to help his clients, he goes the extra mile for clients. No, I guarantee you, no other wealth manager in the universe that I know does the things that Ab does. So this is a guy you need to call. Okay, on to our first guest. I first met Randy Pullen in 2007 when he was AZGOP chair, and we've worked together as colleagues and friends on political affairs for years. Randy is an Arizona guy, graduated from that college, that normal college up north, ASU, or... Arizona Teachers College, whatever they want to call it, with a math degree. He's an accountant, CPA, former partner at Deloitte. He was the guy who generally got the call when there was a particularly difficult assignment from forensic audits to the savings and loan crisis and many other challenging problems which had to be handled with precision, upholding the law, and in the public interest. My friend Randy is brave. Uh, One has to be when taking down a corrupt political party leader such as Michael Steele. He is advisor to the U.S., uh, to, me, to the Arizona Senate audit of the 2020 Maricopa County election results. Randy, welcome to Inside Track. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Bruce. I didn't realize I had such a resume, but wow. There was, lots, there was lots of stuff I left out. He too. cut a lot of stuff from that. <laughs> Your latest project has received a lot of news coverage. There has been much confusion about what the purpose and the goal of the Senate audit is. Please give us the inside track on what is really going on with the audit. Well, Bruce, I'm, I'm happy to do that. It's, it's been kind of crazy watching what's going on in the press. Uh, but my role is I'm a volunteer advisor to the state Senate. And I'm working with Ken Bennett uh, at the uh, actual audit and advising him on things to do. Uh, what I want to just kind of lay out is this, the Senate is conducting a forensic audit of the 2020 Maricopa County election. Uh, and so what does that mean? And let, let's just start out by explaining what a forensic audit is, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions as to what it is. Uh, so the, the objective of a forensic audit 
is for an independent firm to investigate the election with the intention that the results may appear in court for some type of legal proceeding. So that's critical. You understand forensic audit means you're doing it with a legal thought in mind as to how these things will appear in court or be presented in court. Uh, an audit, on the other hand, whether it's an internal audit or done by an independent audit firm, which I used to do a lot of those when I was with Deloitte, is to present uh, to the governing body, in this case, the Board of Supervisors, whether or not the outcome of the election is in compliance with their adopted policies and procedures. Uh, now, what does that mean? So I've done regular audits, and mine were all financial audits, but the bottom line is what you're doing in a financial audit or an election audit is, is very similar. There's not much difference. Uh, so you're doing a regular audit, and you start to see some things that kind of start raising some questions. Uh, existing policies and procedures are not being followed, or uh, in this case, uh, an election information technology, potential data breaches may have occurred, or is, there is a concern that such a thing might have happened. Uh, so other things like compliance with laws and regulations becomes a burden for the uh, election officials, and they shorten things up and so in order that they can get finished because their last goal, their most important goal, is, of course, to be finished at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night <laughs> election. All right? That's what they're after. And finally, you get whistleblowers or an observer reports issues during the election process that they see or are aware of. And so those are the kinds of things that say, wait a minute, maybe we need to dig a little deeper here and do a forensic audit and not just a compliance audit. And quite frankly, Bruce, two other audits that were done in Maricopa County, I've looked at the audits, the results, and what they did. And we would call those regular audits, compliance audits. They're not forensic audits that are made to actually dig down deeper. And if you see things that are wrong, that you present it in such a way that uh, the lawyers will accept it for the way you did it. So that's kind of an overview of what a forensic audit is. Yeah, Eb here. Um, so the audit, though, isn't going to change the outcome of the election, is it? No, of course not. The election is is final. Uh, it was certified at the state level. It was certified at the national level. The election's over. What we're really looking at here is we're seeing some things that occurred during the election cycle that raised questions, and we're investigating those. And as we start to find things, we'll begin to uh, process that and collect the data and do what we need to do based on what legal counsel tells us we need to do in order to be presented in a court of law for some sort of legal proceeding. So that's that's what we're doing. Uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, whether you believe the election was won by Biden or somehow by Trump, doesn't really matter in this in this what we're doing here at this point. Give me an example of some of the things that uh, you're looking for that was brought to your attention. Well, uh, let me bring up one thing forward, and this is pretty critical. This was presented by uh, an observer uh, that was working the election back in October, November. Uh, and what this person saw was that the envelopes that come in, typically there there's a 20-point check 
on the signature that's on the envelope versus the signature in the registration file for that individual. And if at one point there was the algorithm had 20 points they were looking for, and then they cut it to 10 points because it was too slow and it was taking too this much was time. As the, this was as the votes were being counted, right, on election night? Envelopes. Envelopes are coming in, right. Uh, so, so this is uh, before, actually before election night because envelopes right. start coming in a month ahead of time. Right, right. Okay, but as we get closer and closer to election, it gets tighter and tighter. So now we're down to like the last day before it, and they're, they're looking at it. And what they're seeing is that they're not doing the same level of testing on the signatures that they originally were doing. And, and it goes from being 20 points they're looking for down to zero points. Zero points means there was no signature on the envelope. They just pushed it through wow. and processed it. Okay. That's what she saw. Now, uh, so we're looking for that. So we'll be looking at envelopes, images of envelopes to see if, in fact, some of them were, in fact, not signed or that. What the signature doesn't bear any resemblance to the signature in the registration. Well, now, Randy, my signature has changed over time. I have no idea what Absolutely. mine looks like at the courthouse. Yes, I, I agree. Mine has changed as well, and that's why you, you have to, when you're looking at signatures, you have to you know take that into consideration that over time signatures change. Okay, so but there is a process for checking those. All right, and believe me, it. <laughs> Uh, when you're down to looking at like five different points, the signature can look a lot different than what your signature used to look like. Okay, so there there is a lot of leeway given in that area as well. But again, what we're talking about is zero signatures. And with as many, uh, we're going to have to go to break here in just a second, but with as many um, absentee or early ballots that were cast, uh, this this process had to have been ponderous. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely, and and that's and that's the problem that election uh, boards and supervisors are are they have to deal with because this let's face it, in Maricopa County, eighty percent of the voters voted. That's the most that's ever voted. They were overwhelmed by the number of right. votes that were being cast, and trying to deal with it becomes a real issue. Okay, and so that's what happens. They start shortening up the procedures so they can get the votes through because. That's what they want. They want to be done at 7 o'clock on election night. Right. Okay. And so they'll start cutting back on what they do, and that causes causes problems uh, in the uh, the process. And so that's what raises questions like I raised earlier, which is if you see things are changing in the procedures, the process are following, then that calls into question what we're doing here. So <clears throat> if you, I don't know if you want to go to break or not, but... Yeah, we're going to go ahead and... Pay- yeah, we're okay. going to pay some bills, uh, so so let's Great. hang on for, for right now. Mr. Producer, let's take our first break, and we will be right back with Randy Pullen. Stay tuned. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. What other kind of customers do you have? So our Tucson? biggest customers are actually like ranchers and yeah. people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is A, we sell scrap to the mill. So. Uh, we have a relationship there and then we can buy material what they're making bringing it back and so we save on freight and we have relationships for years with them 
so I think that's really our niche market. We'll sell whatever you need. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. It's termite season. Bugs fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Ah, run for your life! Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. Ask not... What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time, with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911, 777-1911. Hey, welcome back to Inside Track. This portion of today's show brought to you by my friends, Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus and Essential Pest Control. Visit Jamie and her crew and see what a real family business looks like. Meet her kids and all the conservation specialists who help customers with all their needs. And since we're talking about service and family businesses, Eric Rudin's crew at Essential Pest Control moved their professional service team to our new home to help us keep safe from the critters environments that we have here in the Arizona desert. Our family, including Sam and our new pup, Sparky, are safe due to their precision skills and safe elimination products. These are two locally owned family businesses you can depend upon. I do. So should you. Okay. Essential Pest was out of Tammy's just earlier today. There you go. They even work on Saturdays for crying out loud. Thanks for holding on, Randy. Uh, The ballots are secured during the weekend break and have been secure from day one. How many more ballots need to be examined? And talk to us about, because security has been something in the news. Uh, Tell us about the security that you've used in order to make sure that there's no chain of custody issues. Correct. Yeah, we have been from, from from the day the Maricopa County uh, actually delivered the ballots, and they came over the Maricopa County uh, Sheriff's Office, uh, basically sent deputies with it over to us. And we had our guards there, our armed guards, waiting for the delivery. And from the moment they got off the truck into the Coliseum, we had armed guards with them 24-7 on the ballots and on the equipment as well. Okay, so uh, while we were in the process of counting, uh we always had at least a minimum of four on the floor. Uh, even, I mean, I'm talking, we're only doing two shifts. So at the middle of the night when there's nobody there, there were still four of them on the floor with the ballots. And then during the counting time, the two shifts we had during the day, uh, we had somewhere between 15 and 19 uh, armed guards on site, either outside or inside. So the security over the ballots and equipment was was always uh, pristine. It was there was never ever an issue with regard to that. Now this week we had to this past week everything had to be moved because they were doing graduation ceremonies at the Coliseum. Nineteen different high schools were having their uh, ceremonies there, and so uh, we had to move everything to another building on 
on the fairgrounds. And we did all that. It was all planned out and reviewed by security as well as by uh, Secretary of State's uh, observers who were there. And essentially everything was put in the two semi-trailers, uh, secured in semi-trailers and put inside the building. And at the building where these are now being stored until this coming Friday, uh, there will be four guards with them at all times. And you know, the, and uh, you, you and Randy, you know all of these things because you have been part of the security uh, process from the very beginning before any ballots showed up at at the state fairgrounds. Right? You you've you've developed yes. the the security plans. You have actually you, you're with an organization who has actually helped raise the money to make sure that that security is there. Right. We did. We have a, a, a C4 called Guardian Defense Fund, which uh, put up initially some of the funding for the uh, uh, guards we needed to get started with. Uh, and we also have the Arizona Rangers there, which uh, uh, Colonel Michael Droll operates those, and he's been a great help. So between, uh, between Michael and myself and another individual, we sat down and worked out the security plan and wrote it up. Uh, to cover everything, and uh, and so the two, Michael as well as the other gentlemen, they've been doing this in their entire lives, so they they knew the ins and outs of everything, and so we put together a great security plan, which has uh, been challenged a couple times, but every time it went to court, uh, they they agreed that everything was fine. What so they they, really they wanted less questions. security, or they wanted more security. Well, they were challenging. There was no security, or the, the security we had was inadequate. And then when we would show what security we had, it was it was more than adequate. Now, what we originally wanted, uh, the original request, was for the governor uh, to put the National right. Guard there. And wh- what does that mean? So if the, the governor does that, we have the National Guard and DPS there. You only need two National Guard there, actually, because if there's a real serious problem or something, in other words, there's a riot or a protest or something is going on. Well, it only takes one quick call, and pretty soon you have a truckload of, of uh, National Guard there. So, But that was not uh, provided by the governor, and so we had to come up with our own security program to cover everything. So, so let's, get, let's get something straight. Um, you agree. Uh, you've you've uh, stated that the election was won by Joe Biden here in Arizona, right? It was. And he it's won. But, that's done. It's over. I might. <laughs> yeah. I might think uh, Trump might have done better. But but here's the point. Uh, when you, Biden won by ten thousand five hundred votes, plus or minus here in Arizona, that's point three percent. Okay, that is a very very small percentage amount. And when you have that close an election, when you're then. Uh, doing an audit and you're selecting how many ballots you're going to look at, you have to look at a lot more ballots than right. what the, the county looked at. They picked out 52 uh, packs. Each pack has about 1,400. Uh, each box has about 1,400 uh, ballots in it. And they, they picked out 52 boxes ahead of time, in other words, that they were going to do. And they only actually looked at 26. So you figure that out. I mean, based on how close the election was, that wasn't nearly enough to justify the amount. Again, so that's what calls into question. Uh, now, if, if Biden had won by 10 points, what they did would have been more than enough. Right. Now, now, Randy, with what you're doing with the audit, 
checking the envelopes, everything else, uh, will you be able to tell if dead people voted, for instance? Well, that's a great question. Uh, the only way you can do that is to go back and check the registration, and, and and you look at the registration and who voted, and you go back and you, you, you there there is a list, by the way, that that comes out uh, before every election a, a year before that shows all the people that have passed away across the country, and that 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 is available to the to the state of Arizona and the county, and they do use it. And so it does get cleaned up on a routine basis, but doesn't mean you get it all cleaned up because people die every every day. So, uh, you know, so it's, it's never going to be up to date perfectly. OK, but then we also have people who move away. OK, and then and, and so this, there's problems in the system. And I'll give you a perfect example. And it's a personal one, which is that uh, I lived in Maricopa County for decades and we bought a house in uh, Flagstaff and moved up there. And so I re-registered the vote in Coconino County, uh, registered up there. And so I'm still getting notices that I'm on the Maricopa County voter reg, okay? Because somehow between Coconino County and Maricopa County, they didn't, they didn't communicate that, you know, I was no longer a resident of Maricopa County. Right. Okay. So that's the kinds of problems you run into in these systems. And that's, the end game here is really we need to clean up our entire election system across the state, and it's it's the legislature's responsibility. They're given that that responsibility by the U.S. Constitution, and they want to get it cleaned up so that we don't have issues like this in the in the in the future. And everybody will will be much more confident that the elections are being run pr- appropriately, and who wins won, and 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 they'll trust the system. And that's what this is really all about is, again, Arizona, we have 15 voting systems. Each county has its own system. Okay, so that's what causes a lot of confusion. If we had one statewide set of regulations and approvals, the way you do things, and by the way, the state is the one who reviewed and approved the equipment that was going to be used, as opposed to the counties trying to do it on their own, then there would be much more confidence in what we're doing in an election let's come back let's come back to the counties in just a second i I, and i don't want to dwell on the dominion machines we we hear stuff well well but it it, it, there's there's enough talk on that talk about the the reluctance or refusal to get those passwords to be able to actually examine the system again not to count votes but it's to understand Uh, how yes. votes were being counted in those machines. Right. Well, that's that really comes back to the Dominion system. Okay, so uh, the, the county identified 385 tabulators that were used during the election. Okay, and so our uh, IT people were going through looking at the tabulators, and, you know, there's the software is loaded on the tabulators, and that's, uh, you can't really do much of the software other than test by running a ballot through or something because it, it's really not readable f- for that level. And then uh, and then there's a password that gets you into administration. And they didn't give us the password to administration at first, but they finally did give us that password. So we got into administration of the tabulator. But then there's another password that gets you to the configure- configuration of the tabulator. The configuration of the tabulator is what tells you what the tabulator really does or how it does do it. 
Okay, they didn't have the passwords. We asked for the passwords. He said they don't have those passwords. Turns out Dominion has those passwords. And so Dominion refused to give those passwords to us so we could then open up the tabulators and see exactly what they do do. Okay, so the bottom line that's the chain of that's the real chain of custody issue. That's the chain of custody. What that means that the the county could not be certain about what those tabulators were doing if it was properly uh, counting the ballots. Because once a ballot goes through and is becomes an image, an electronic image, the paper ballot no longer matters. It's the image that is used in the counting process. And so once it goes into that tabulator, into the system electronically, you got to know what the system is doing. And if they don't have oversight on that system, well, then that's an issue. And that goes back to one of the points I raised at the beginning, which is, uh, you know, do you have information technology, potential data breaches, uh, and what is the risk? Okay, well, we don't know because we can't see that. Okay, that's a serious problem. It sure is, and um, and I think that's that's really it's that's sort of the, the the mystifying thing about this whole business is if there's if there's nothing to hide, then why isn't the information being shared? Not necessarily just with you guys, but Maricopa County doesn't have it as well. Right. That's right. I mean, so again, it comes back to well, let's go back to Texas. Why did Texas not? They did not approve Dominion machines. Okay, Maricopa County approves them. All right, it's the supervisor's responsibility. So now we find out that they couldn't access their own tabulators. So who's responsible for that? Okay, so again, it goes back to them. It's their problem that they have to deal with, and they don't, they, you know, they don't want that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're politicians. You know how politicians are. We've seen plenty of them, Bruce. You know, they they want everything to run smoothly and look good. And, and that's what they're looking for, and they don't want problems. So, so getting getting back to our state, the the best outcome could be is that the machines worked right. There, there were no problems yes. in counting. I mm-hmm. mean, that that would be the best outcome. The Democrats yes. hope it it looks that way, and really, you do too. But but going forward, this is not this is not a reverse looking. Uh, a study. It's it's really as much as anything is to give the legislature and the governor some opportunity to correct problems that have existed for a long Correct. time. And the biggest forever. One, it, the yeah. biggest one, it seems to me, and I think you would agree, is that when you have the state who is responsible for running their elections, and you have fifteen counties whose whose procedures all vary, and their equipment vary, and their means of of you know, running the elections vary. That's where problems can come up, right? And and correct. That's there it. there should be some clarity for this in the future, right? And consistency. Exactly, and that and that, and that uh, consistency in the election. That's really what the state senate is after. They want to, uh, you know, make sure we come the next election that people trust the system. It works properly. There's the proper oversights on it. And if it comes down to it, if they need to, if the state needs to do an audit, well, they can do an audit. They don't have to go through the court system first and get it approved by a judge before they go do an audit hmm. of a of a one of the election systems. 
Well, Randy, um, great report. I hope we can uh, count on you to give us a further report. Uh, you've got uh, you got a lot more votes to look over and a lot more things to, to run through, uh, but keep up the good fight. This was a, a great opportunity to get the facts straight from, from the floor where it's all happening. Well, thank you for having me on your show, Bruce and Ed. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mr. Randy. Mr. Producer, let's go to our bottom of the hour break when we come back. Arizona State Representative from Legislative District 11, Mark Fincham, will join us. You're listening to Inside Track. Eb and I will be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all of the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street. Call 520-209-1576 or go to tucsonironretail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. It's termite season. Fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Run for your life! Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. I'm Eb Wilkinson with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. I want you to become financially independent. You will never, ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. We are here to guide you to financial independence. That's imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Okay, welcome back to Inside Track. Ebb's here. Bruce is here. Before we get to Mark Fincham, do you have a home improvement project you want to get going, but you're worried if you can afford the luxury you deserve? Corazon Cabinets sells top quality cabinets by J&K, Yorktown. That's where I got my cabinets. Legacy and Conestoga. Visit the Corazon, <laughs> Corazon crew at their new showroom located at 4700 South Park. Meet Joy and Alley to see their fabulous collection. Let them plan the kitchen or bath of your dreams. Call Corazon Cabinets for, uh, 488-2266 and get to work on beautifying your home. I'm looking at Ebbs right now. Oh my God, that looks great. It's wonderful. They did a great job. Jane and I just ordered cabinets for our new house and we could not believe the super value we're getting for our money. Corazon Cabinets, luxury you can afford. Okay, on to our special guest, Arizona Representative Mark Fincham. Mark, welcome back to Inside Track. It's been too long since we talked together here. More? Yeah, there. Um, oh, there he is. There he is. Yep. Hey, 
hey, Mark, the background bio I'm going to give from your Wikipedia page is why Wikipedia is no longer a trusted resource for information because like so many things today, oh my gosh. it is filled no. with political innuendo. So, so It's not even political innuendo. It's a hit piece yeah. that somebody has put up there, and we've are, they're, they're going to be included in what I'm about to talk to. But go ahead and give the bio right. just so people know how much of a dastardly man I am. Yeah. This is not the guy that I know and, and that anybody who, who's worked with Mark uh, as he's been in the state legislature knows him. Mark W. Fincham is an American politician and a Republican member of the Arizona House of Representatives representing District 11 since January 5th, 2015. Fincham is a member of several far-right fringe organizations. He is the Arizona coordinator for the Coalition of Western States, an organization that opposes the activities of the Bureau of Land Management and supported the occupation of the Malheur National uh, Wild, uh, Wildlife Refuge in 2016. Fincham is also a member of the militia group Oath Keepers. How is he not in prison? <laughs> God. Mark, um, uh, at, at Inside Track, we ask our political guests if they know the stated duty of an, of an elected official in Arizona, what that is. Um, you've taken the oath. What's the duty of an elected official, especially one who's a lawmaker? Bruce, I've taken the oath not only for as a lawmaker, but also as a law enforcement official. Um, I, I swore an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and the Constitution of the state of Arizona, along with the statutes thereof, to see to it that they are executed faithfully. Now, for Wikipedia to allow such an irresponsible posting, Ballotopia, that's another one. It's very clear that these are the kind of hit pieces that the the radical fringe left has been posting about me for um, uh, about three and a half, four years. They destroyed my real estate business because we had a difference of opinion over legislative priorities. How they did they, how did they destroy my, your business? Well, they, their favorite tool uh, is to go out to Angie's List, which, by the way, is pretty much no more anymore. Right. Um, Home Advisor, Yelp. They called me a bigot, a homophobe. Um, and these are people that I've never met, have never done business with. They clearly don't know that I have a mixed racial family. Um, and, and what they're out there doing is laying the groundwork to take out people that they view as a threat. Understand that the radical left they target people long in advance. They look at the people that are in the political sphere, um, in, in my ilk, you know, the, the conservative Republican caucus, and they, they begin to kneecap them, if you will, right? Um, so that you can't run in the future. But that seems to have backfired on them. So um, you had asked me uh, in a conversation before the show, what what am I fighting right now? And I, by the way, my hat's off to Randy Pullen and the audit team. They are essentially debunking the big lie. Right. And what's about to come out is the big truth. The big truth is that the Arizona legislature is standing up for fraud-free elections, for transparency of process, and the people's right to scrutinize a controversy in question. That is what they are doing. Now, because I did that, because I exercised not only my my First Amendment right to speak up and say, wait a minute, th there's a problem here. Um, I also was present to deliver a package 
to my congressman, where 21 members of the House and five members of the Senate signed on to it and said, Mr. Vice President, basically as a message to the vice president, we're asking you to press the pause button because we have spotted a problem with this election and we do not want to see our electors improperly, uh, our electoral college electors improperly appointed to the wrong person. And for that, the Arizona Democrats in the House and the Senate, in the state legislature, lied to the DOJ and to the FBI. They said that I planned from 2,700 miles away. I planned January 6th, and I led an insurrection against the United States. That's what their claim was. And then they turned around and they lied to the media. And they said, this is what, we have proof that, that Fincham did this. Well, okay, the proof that they cited was the news reports that the fake media had put out in the first place. And now they're lying to the taxpayers and the voters, and they're saying that I am an insurrectionist, I am a this, I am a that. So you can see that there's this long trail of um, defamation, uh, libel, and slander. And that's one of the things. They, they did the same thing to Andy Biggs. They did the same thing to Paul they Gosar. Did. They did. And so we have uh, now stood up an organization called the Guardian Defense Fund, and it is our intention to sue every Arizona state legislator in the Democrat Party that signed on to these fallacious letters. All 44 of them. We're coming after them. Uh, we are planning to file a suit at a time. We've started off with Charlene Fernandez. Now, obviously, because um, we are in session, she can't be served. So she has a certain amount of protection against civil service until we sign a die. But when, when we do sign a die, it is our intention to go to court and to set this right. Your, your, uh, some of the fellow lawmakers uh, that you work with in the legislature tried to uh, have you expelled uh, from, from the uh, chamber. Um, yeah. There was, a, um, there was a, uh, an editorial. Uh, the headline was, Representative Mark Fincham is a clear and present danger to all of us. Expel him from office now. This was Dana Almond. Uh, who this is, is what they do, yeah. Bruce. This is what they do. They lie about you. They misrepresent fact. It is an effort to try and force those people who do not agree with Democrats to sit down and shut up. Well, they're picking on the wrong damn guy. I'm not going to sit down and shut up. In fact, we're going to go on the offensive against these people for abusing the First Amendment right of every person in this state. Enough is enough. So a predecessor of yours, um, Al Melvin, uh, said a lot. You know you're over the target if you're taking flack. Right. Um, <laughs> you're <laughs> you uh, forgetting forgetting all of this business with the election and 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 you know all that stuff. You've been on. You've been the tip of the spear with respect to defending the Constitution, both the U.S. Constitution and the Arizona Constitution, haven't you? And you've been yeah. you have been a a leader, a champion for conservative causes, but for reform causes as well, haven't you? Yeah, that's why they hate me because uh, I, I I don't go along to get along. Yeah, so there there is a there's one there's one particular thing that you've uh, supported uh, the teachers' code of conduct. Oh my God, you would have thought that you were stealing candy from little children or something uh, on the street uh, corner. Uh, talk about the teachers' code of ethics, Bill. 
Well, the Teachers Code of Ethics uh, is a, an effort that we we attempted to get our, uh, across the finish line for three years in a row. This year, we've actually got something that is kind of close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It doesn't really have the penalties in place, but uh, essentially it, it prohibits the advocacy for political positions uh, and political persons who are engaged in the political process today. So, for example, a, a teacher cannot advocate for Joe Biden for president, nor can they advocate for Donald Trump for president. They can't advocate for a particular party, for a particular person, uh, for a particular proposition. Uh, enough is enough. These, you are, as a teacher, your job is to teach our children reading, writing, and arithmetic. And the last time I looked at uh, the statistical um, performance reports of how many kids are being graduated who can read, write, and and count. <laughs> abysmal. Uh, it is an abysmal failure. And I think that you have got parents who are now seeing this and they're like, wait a minute, I've been paying all this tax money for all these years. I'm kind of liking doing the homeschool thing. So you're going to see a significant number of kids uh, not return to the public schools because parents have now taken an active role in their ed- kids' education. And the other thing that we're seeing is now with this, this introdu- introduction of critical race theory, Right. And by the way, that'll be prohibited in the state of Arizona is biased teaching. Um, you, you're you're trying to force kids to become bigots under the guise that we want to prevent bigotry. It does. It, it, it makes it is, no sense at all. It is absolute. It makes absolutely no sense, and it's part of this paradigm that the radical fringe left wants to force down people's throats. They know darn well that people are not bigoted they know that they're they are not prejudiced yet they are trying to implant in that in their behavior their minds their brains this is all about reparations and and a legal theory that just frankly doesn't wash they would have everybody believe that they are due a reparation from something that happened 200 100 years ago okay Mark, mark my family came to this country from ukraine in 1906 and from um from Italy and from France a year before. Um, they weren't around for any of those times. Uh, my grandparents uh, believed in, in America and freedom and liberty. They, they, uh, they, they were poor people uh, who, who did believe in civil rights. Uh, but, but I have to admit that I, am, I have white privilege and, and I, you know, I'm responsible for these things that happened long before my family ever arrived here. And, you know, there are tens and tens of millions of Americans in the same situation. And frankly, even if Ebb's family sitting across from me had come here in the, in the 18th century, um, what, what responsibility does he have for something that happened 250 years plus uh, before he was ever born for crying out loud? Well, is- under the legal theory that they are trying to peddle, that means that parents today who commit a crime, yeah. their kids tomorrow have to pay the reparations for their parents' act. Now, I'm not so <laughs> sure that they want to overturn centuries of legal jurisprudence in order to get this done. But it's not about that. What it is, is it's about destroying American society. It's from the inside American history. That's right. The 1619 project, for example, is so filled with with lies and fabrications and fantasy that even the New York Times and the writers had to admit that it wasn't true. Yet they're peddling this crap 
across the entire United States as history. And you've got these imbeciles who are sitting in, in, on school boards and curriculum committees who lap it up. They're drinking the poison of hemlock and destroying our public education system in now, the process. Now, Mark, we need to have history taught. With the good, Absolutely. the bad, the ugly, the whole bit. We need to teach about slavery, about lynchings, the whole bit. We need to teach about the Civil Rights Act, everything good and everything bad, so it's all out there. 1619 right. Project does not do that. That's exactly right. And, you know, what's interesting, I, I, I find this terribly troubling. They talk about the Jamestown colony, which, quite frankly, was responsible for slavery in America, but they neglect the Plymouth colony, which arrested, incarcerated, and punished the individuals who were slave traders and helped the people who were their captives go home. You don't hear that story. Nope. But you do hear about Jamestown. Nor do you... So that's one of the reasons we've set up the Guardian Defense Fund, so that we can help people fight this garbage off. Yeah, no, you're right. And um, so how do people contribute uh, to the Guardian Defense Fund? That's a great question. So we have launched, it's a 501c4. We've got our application in. We see no reason why they won't be able to, uh, why it won't be approved. Um, People can go to fightback.network. It's not fightback.com, fightback.network, which um, kind of gives a hint to what we have planned. We are planning to establish a network of chapters all across the United States where people can come together and fight back against this kind of petty tyranny. Because if we don't do it now, we're going to run into the same thing that happened between 1930 and 1938 in Germany. And we're, we're already seeing the playbook that yeah. the Democrats, interesting, the Democrats of the, that day seem to be doing the same thing as the Democrats of today. So, um, but fightback.network, no contribution is too small. Um, we've got some major donors who are already committed to stepping forward and helping us raise millions of dollars. And the purpose of this fightback.network fund, which is going into the Guardian Defense Fund, is to pay for the legal services necessary to go on the offensive. Defense was never intended to be a permanent status. Defense is intended to give you time to recover and go back on the offensive. The Republicans, the conservatives, the people who matter, the people who, whose voices have been silenced, those are the people who we want to take care of. The people who have already got a voice through Facebook and, and Twitter uh, promoting their material, okay, they matter as well, but they don't, they're not being silenced. Mark, the phones are ringing off the foot, uh, off the uh, uh, the hook here. We've got JP. Uh, we've got JP who called in. Uh, Tom, can you get us uh, JP here in a second? Tom, can you get us JP? JP, are you right. with us? Yo, oh, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah, sorry. JP, go ahead. You're on with Mark Fincham. Yeah, hi, Bruce and Mark. Uh, just a, a little anecdote about Mark and the recall in that uh, I voted for Mark every time he's run around here. And uh, I go to the Wheeler Taft Abbott Library at Silver Bell and Cortaro. Yeah. And the last two months, every time I go to the library, there's a little table set up outside with a couple of young uh, Occupy Wall Street people uh, collecting signatures on petition to recall Mark Fincham. And they asked me about it the first couple of times I went by, and I just told them, sorry, I voted for Mark every time he runs. I'm not going to sign your petition. 
So there's people out there that are not listening to all that stuff. Thanks, JP. So, Mark, who 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 is rural rep, rural Arizonans for accountability? Because they certainly don't uh, represent the constituents in your legislative district, do they? No, they don't. They don't. In fact, I, I got a call earlier today from a young lady who said uh, that that she walked up to the table at the um, Oro Valley Aquatic Center and and said, "So, what can you tell me about this?" She said, "Well, he's a conspiracy theorist." Really? So, a conspiracy about what? Well, a lot of things. <laughs> and that was it. I mean, they got no explanation. Now, under the requirements of a recall, there's a block of information, which, by the way, we plan to sue them as well, because they're misrepresenting the same facts that the Arizona Democrat caucus in the House and Senate misrepresented. So at, at some point, this has got to come to an end. Uh, but these folks, uh, we know a couple of them had said, oh, no, I was down in Georgia for the, the Warnock thing. So these are paid um, staffers who are being sent around the country, more than likely paid for by Soros and Zuckerberg and, and uh, you know, the, the crew out of Silicon Valley, because they don't want the American people to have solid representation. Right. They want to have the Democrat line go along to get along. Sit down and shut up. We've got this. We'll let you know how much you can have. You're going to be a surf. Uh, you can have your iPad and your phone, and you go out to dinner, and, and you can go into debt up to your eyeballs, and we'll, we're going to take care of all this. Well, that's not going to happen. And right on. I, I think it's, it's interesting. Thank you very much, JP. I appreciate your support. Mm -hmm. But when people see that table, I would urge them to walk up and say, exactly why are you recalling this man? Give me a description of why are you recalling this man? Because I, I know that other people hear that who might be willing to sign it because they don't know any better. And when you hear them have to defend why they're doing what they're doing. And they can't. They can't. They yeah. can't. Hey, Mark, we've got Charles on the phone. Charles. Sure. Charles, go ahead. I'll go you. I'll go you one further. When you walk up to the table and ask a question, make sure you video it, make it nice and short, and put it on YouTube, or send it to Mark and let him post it somewhere. And it'll be a graphic demonstration in a bite that's probably even a millennial won't duck if it's uh, less than 45 seconds. All right, on to my point. Mark, that's a great idea. You share... Thank you very much. <laughs> my pleasure. Um, I know you might explain after I hang up why your copy of the Constitution in your left pocket looks so darn worn out. But I want to ask you, reference that the idea in the Constitution of prohibiting corruption of blood, which is, for people who don't know, which is the punishment of children and grandchildren of people who do something wrong for what the grandparent or hmm. parent did. Great question. Can you juxtapose? Can you juxtapose the corrupt, the prohibition of corruption of blood in the Constitution? Forgive me, forgive me for not telling you chapter and verse, but I believe it's in Article One, Section it's, Eight, somewhere. We got Article th Three, we, Section Three, but be that as we got three minutes, so so fire away, Mark. Okay, so I appreciate the question. It, it is exactly the legal doctrine that we are talking about. That no matter how long across time, if an adult commits a crime or or engages in a behavior where there is a liability that action is upon that adult it cannot be carried to their son who might be five years old at the time or their their son's son who is not even a twinkle in somebody's eye yet you cannot across generations hold people accountable for an action that was taken 
that it was rejected by society over that intervening time. Now, if they want to go back and they want to sue somebody from, you know, days past, if they can find an estate piece and they can make a direct link of their family between that individual, have at it. But that's very different than this notion of reparations to an entire segment of the population who had absolutely nothing to do with what the wrong might have been. And quite frankly, even today, reject that kind of activity. Now, what's interesting is that even in today's society, it's estimated there are 51 million slaves around the, around the world. Today, in some societies, on some other continents, right. but certainly not in the United States. We've had, we've had slaves here before we got here. Well, we also have... The Indians enslaved other Indians. That's exactly right. And... We have current-day modern slavery at the hands of the cartels bringing children across the border for the pedophiles in this country and in other countries. So you really want to have that conversation? Let's have that conversation. Thank you very much for that question. Yeah, Um, Mark S., uh, really, really quick, we're down to our final 56 uh, seconds. Go ahead. Okay, uh, I knew Mark Fincham directly in a maybe more personal way when he was my first line manager and then advanced up to be my second line manager at a company we worked at. And I want to attest that he is of high integrity and excellent individual. And it incenses me to see this left, these leftist national socialist, uh, you know, Nazi commie liars. Pinkos. Trying to paint, yeah, paint him as a, to- totally different than what he really is. And right. he is an excellent individual. Thank, Thank you, Mark. Mark. And Mark Fincham, uh, we're, we're right up against it. Uh, friends, until next Saturday, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Be sure to listen here tomorrow to America's Fabric, The Swap Shop, America Armed and Free, and Liberty Watch with our friend Charles Heller. For Inside Track, this is Bruce Ash And Ed Wilkinson. Wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. A lot of the the cities and counties around have initiatives for artists. I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard across the street. It's seven acres of metal. You can walk through with our people and pick out what you want. It's always interesting to see what the artists have done. We've done uh, actually a couple projects with the U of A engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together. They had to pick something out of the scrap and uh, they had to build an instrument. And we have one of those in front of the plant. Some really cool things come out of the scrap. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street, open Monday through Saturday. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time. With Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson. IMUSWilkinson.com 777-1911 777-1911